Welcome to Trial and Error, a podcast in which we look at the details and significance of a single case from in the UK. I'm Lawrence Newport. And I'm David Juratic. We have to underline this is not legal advice, so please don't rely on us in court or in general for legal advice or really in general for any advice. What's really nice about this week is that this is one of my personal favourite cases. Um, so the case this week is Eves and Eves from 1975. We're looking at this is uh, an, an appeal to the Court of Appeal. Um, and we're going to get into kind of why it's controversial and why it's interesting. Um, mostly, uh, as you'd expect from this, it's the judgment, but in particular, one of the judges, uh, which we'll get to in a moment. So the setup for this case, Eves and Eves, a man and a woman they meet this sounds like it's 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 a bad romance story um i promise you it it is um <laughs> it's, it's, it's bad in all senses you know it's really bad so uh a man and woman meet um janet and what's the guy's name Stuart. Um, Stuart. Stuart and janet uh they meet um janet gets pregnant um they they're together then for some time afterwards, uh, I think four and something years. Uh, they, Stuart purchases a house. They both live in this house. He buys this house entirely with his own money. He also then never marries Janet, which is significant if anything goes wrong in their relationship, which it most certainly does. So he doesn't marry her. He buys his house with his own money. He says to her, I would put your name on the deed for the house. I would share the house with you, you know, legally um, by putting your name on the deed. But I can't because you're under 21. Um, this is a lie. He admits later on it, it was a lie. He just never wanted to put her name on the deed and never intended her to be on the deed. He's nice. So, yeah, yeah, he lies. This, this is a pattern with this guy. It's, it's a nice chap. I like him. Yeah. <laughs> um, there is some work then done on the house. So they hire some builders and Janet helps them out. She does various tasks herself around the house uh, to improve it. Then Stuart meets someone else. He falls in love or at least wants to marry this someone else. I mean, this seems out of character. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I know this guy on paper uh, already. <laughs> this is plot twist but <laughs> turns out he's a very close friend <laughs> um, so he wants to marry this other woman and i think does he does get married to her right um, um, i believe yeah yeah, yeah he does he yeah. marries gloria the other gloria woman. so he marries gloria this new woman he does not want janet to have any of the proceeds from the house he wants her just to leave it and for him to have the house himself. Bearing in mind, of course, he put all the money in. Her name was not on the deed. And he is now married to somebody else. He would like her just to go, please. Also, by the way, as a side note, he's not paying for uh, any of his kids either. Uh, yeah, they, 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 they reckon he probably owes Janet about £1,000 at the point of the judgment. Yeah just for childcare stuff. And this is so in the he, 1970s. Um, yeah, what is, what is that today? What is that today? Okay, 1975 to today is 8,000. 8,000 pounds. 8,000 pounds. Stuart. So, Janet has no name on the deed of the house. She's put no money into the house. She is not married and never was married to Stuart. Yeah. She wants some of the money from that house. We are now, well, not now, but we are traveling back in time, in a sense, to 1975 and the dusty old room in the Court of Appeal. She puts this case, or rather her, her lawyers put this case, to the Court of Appeal. And we get a very interesting judgment, namely because of the master of the roles at the time, Lord Denning, a very famous and very controversial judge. Ah, uh, Denning, uh, Denning, Denning, Denning. Yes, which I think, I think David and I have slightly different views on. Um, I'm not quite sure, but uh, we'll find out <laughs> over the course of this, of this podcast and the podcast in general, because I quite like Lord Denning's judgments. 
as oh, I didn't say I don't people. like them. I've, I've never said that I don't like his judgments. Um, <laughs> I've painted you. You, yeah, no, no. I mean, we'll go. It's a, we'll get it's into a sophistry. It. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's controversial for a good reason. I'm not denying that at all. Um, well, this so, is this is as far as Denning goes. This is perfectly reasonable. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, uh, as far as Denning goes is the key there, right? <laughs> so Lord Denning is he's a very very famous judge with a whole collection of cases where he decides something which is either let's say unexpected um or he kind of changes track from what most lawyers would imagine would be the judgment um and he does so with interesting and novel reasons for uh for those you could call them changes in law i think that might be uh one way of phrasing it but innovations yes um so there's a lot of um you know contract law students for example will come across something called promissory estoppel which we might look at in a later episode uh which then basically just invents um yeah just out of nowhere um so he's often doing things because he thinks they are fair uh yes but you know there is there is a system of legal logic and precedent within which you're supposed to make those determinations Um, yeah of course, in our legal system, the idea is once you have a leading precedent, you're meant to follow that precedent, which is why, for instance, promissory estoppel, what you've just mentioned there is, we'll, we'll get into, but that, in fact, somewhat added a caveat, if not was an attempt to overturn a precedent that had existed for maybe 400 years or so. You know, invented, he has invented a thing, um, yeah. but then it became a thing. So, you know, fair, fair play to him. Yeah, um, he's... So his judgments are known for this, and, and, and he is known for this, and it was something which was true across his career. I think we can say he was uh, controversial, but highly respected too. And um, this judgment is a fantastic example of what he does and how he does it. As, as, as David just mentioned, of course, the reason why he often makes these decisions is on the basis of I, th- I think we could say, like, morality or certainly fairness. Yeah, he's looking for fairness, isn't he? he? He's trying to make the law uh, work for the, the, the wronged party as best he can. And he also has this very distinctive writing style um, that is just totally on display here. Um, yeah. So we've gone through these facts. and The I first think, line. Yeah, the first line. This is how Denning starts his judgment. I will call her Janet because she has had four surnames already. (laughs) I don't know why that's relevant. (laughs) It's It's brilliant. Like, you know, he didn't need to say that. Um, And and many judges wouldn't say that. They would say the claimant is named Janet. Um, Janet E. Um, But no, and you can't not read this in the voice of, I'll call her Janet because she's had four surnames already. I mean, honestly, what is going on here? You know, you you kind of sense, uh, you know, I, I I don't yeah I can't work out what that because as you can probably tell from the facts of the case Denning is certainly he's likely going to be on her side. Uh, I don't know why he sounds so. I mean I know he's a judge, but why is he being so judgmental? She's had four um, surnames. My word. Yeah. And then he goes through her marriage. Like she was married for the first time at age eighteen, but that marriage lasted only a year. Next, at the age of nineteen, she met a man, Stuart Eaves. He was a married man. They could not marry, so they started living together. You know, it's well, it's all these short sentences. It's why I yeah. find Denning so interesting. Unlike most judges that go through these long, kind of very kind of neutral statements of the facts, he's not even trying to be neutral and state the facts like that. He's try- trying to give very short, easily digestible sentences that anyone could read and understand what's going on. She's mm-hmm. she's been married once before. She met another man, Stuart Eaves. He was a married man. They couldn't marry. They started living together. She took his mm-hmm. name and had two children by him. After four and a half years, that relationship broke down. Uh, now both have got divorces from the former spouses and have remarried. Question arises now as to the house where they lived. Hmm. And what a great setup! Yeah, like yeah, and it's just that below that you've just got this whole kind of like you can read so much into what he's saying. He was married; they couldn't hmm. marry, so they lived together anyway. I mean, you know. It's- <laughs> Yeah, good on them. Uh, they're very much the rock stars here. Um, and then, <laughs> even the very fact he says the question now arises as to the house where they lived. Very nice, very grammatical, very roundabout way of saying it's about the house. Um, 
And as we know, the house where they live is a, a house. It's a very big house in Romford. Um, yeah, we, we looked it up, didn't we? We did. We looked it up on Google Maps. It still exists. It's very nice. Um, yeah, it is. We probably yeah, shouldn't give out the address right now. But, um, it, it's, <laughs> no, but, you know, it's in the judgment, the public. We, we apologise to the people that live at that address that we looked up their address on Google Maps. <laughs> but it looked good. It looked good. So it's a nice me. house. Um, you know, well done. Yeah, it is. Um, well done. <laughs> so, this is probably how cost, it probably cost them more than five thousand six hundred pounds to buy it as well, because yes. that's how much old Stuart paid. Anyway. Yeah, five thousand six hundred, which was you know comparatively now, I'm sure it's worth a hell of a lot more. So <laughs> Google that as well. Um, yeah, <laughs> we, we 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 have uh, we have tested the people in this house enough. We don't need to work out their house price for them. <laughs> he sets up how much the house is worth he sets up um our, i mean really they feel like characters right they feel like story characters almost hmm. janet her life history in a way that i don't it's it's just about the case but yeah it's 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 him giving you an instruction to who these people kind of are and then he talks about the house how much the house was worth the fact that Stuart uh put it in his name alone and then lied about his reasons for doing so you know claiming that she was it was because she was 21 when really he's he's admitted it was he's like i want the house yeah to yeah his I mustache. Mean, the way the way denning puts it but he admitted in the witness box that it was simply an excuse he all along was determined that it was to be in his name alone yeah great extra sentence that's a great yeah. you know he is cutting he is cutting Stuart. To be this, this. yeah he the villain of the piece right he and, really is so. especially because our next our next paragraph, the house was very dirty and dilapidated. They went in and made their home there. She did a great deal of work to the house and garden. She did much more. This is so significant, so clever. She did much more than many wives would do. Can we just talk about that sentence okay. for a minute? <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. It's like, she did much more than many wives would do. Like. Okay, Denning, having a dig at his wife there. Um, <laughs> yeah, but you're you're in court all day, Denning. I mean, yeah, but I bet your wife does a lot around the house. Thank you very much. She did much more than many wives. She didn't just do the womanly things. She did <laughs> physical things. <laughs> she did work. She didn't just make dinner. Oh. <laughs> much more than many wives would do. You wouldn't believe a woman could do these things. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but I don't think... I think... I think on a... On, on a favourable reading of this, he's making a a somewhat legal point here. Oh yeah, yeah, you know, exactly. He's, he's trying to. He's got this sense that Janet has been wronged, and so yeah. what's fascinating about this judgment is to begin with, he he's describing the facts in a way that it's stylistically there to create this sense of like a, a fable, like a story that this is what's gone on. This is all the stuff this woman did. Isn't her husband, her ex-husband, a piece of work? You know, look, yeah. she deserves something. And then his task later on becomes, I've got to plug that into the law somehow. So it's, yeah. it's very clever. It's very persuasive. Um, yes. You know, and it's just very, that's the way he's phrasing it. I mean, he continues, right? She stripped the wallpaper in the hall. She painted woodwork in the lounge and kitchen. She painted the kitchen cabinets, which I like here that implies that they're not made of wood. <laughs> she painted she painted the brickwork in the front of the house. She broke up the concrete in the front garden. They're in brackets. You know, he doesn't say this, but he's saying she broke up the concrete, much like Stuart broke up her perfect life in Romford. Yeah. Um, she carried the pieces to a skip to such an unnecessary detail. <laughs> it's brilliant. No, it's brilliant because it makes these these actions, it emphasizes every action to its nth degree possible. You know, yeah. she broke up pieces of concrete. And you she could carry just... bits to a skip. Yeah, yeah, she didn't just break up and leave it there. She cleaned no. up her mess. She I with him the mess the that, that Stuart left her in. Yeah. <laughs> she with him demolished the shed and put up a new shed. She prepared the front garden for turfing. Let, I, to add to it all, they had their second child, a girl, on 29th December 1970. I mean, yeah. what's incredible about this is anyone else... I, I wager any other judge would just say something along the lines of she did some work around the house helping yeah. 
you know um well they might they might list some of it but the, the point is that he's making this point this strangely paternalistic point it's more than a wife would normally do you know um it's probably reading too much of the denning's own home life at this point but yeah he's <laughs> he's really kind of emphasizing it and he's doing it with this kind of short sentence kind of you know hemingway sort of you know yeah i'm not comparing him to Ellis hemingway but you know hemingway uses short <laughs> sentences right i saw the bull i shot the bull i drank some whiskey <laughs> <laughs> I had a fight. I did some fishing. It was a good day. You know, that's a kind of Hemingway sentence. And he's doing a similar sort of thing here, you know. Um, but it's so what clever. I, it's what so I'm clever. fascinated by now is this bit about the shed, right? So she says, he says, she, with him, demolished a shed. And this is the only bit where we're told what he did. And you yeah. can just imagine it's because, like, council arguing this point you know said oh my lord he uh, he helped with the shed he's like oh he helped with the oh we better make it oh oh the shed you say well okay i'll make clear that the shed was him didn't break up any concrete though did he <laughs> i mean you know, so it's well honest. done you demolished a shed congratulations it, with your wife's help but it's so genius because to to just be able to say something like, you know, she prepared the front garden for turfing. What does that mean? But it makes it seem like it's a lot of work. She broke up the concrete <laughs> in the front garden. She <laughs> then carried the pieces to a skip. I mean, it's great. It's like every action she does is emphasized as really cumbersome. And my God, she did it. And many wives wouldn't do that. Okay. And think about how, of course, the implication is, think of how the, the law treats a wife in this scenario. Mm-hmm. Well, she did much more than many wives would do. Here's all the things she did. She didn't just yeah. break up pieces of the concrete. She carried them to the skip. I don't know what preparing a front garden for turfing means. I mean, raking the the soil, like leveling it out, like. But it can mean anything, couldn't it? Um, it, it could mean she picked up some leaves. It could mean that she flattened the turf and, you know, did gardeny things. If uh, if if Alan Titchmarsh is listening and he'd like to tell us how one prepares a front garden for turfing, I'd uh, I'd love to hear from him. Maybe she just like you know morally prepared it for it. She gave it a good speech. She gave it good. She's like now, guys, look what's going to happen is yeah, you've got to get like, ready for turfing. <laughs> it's not that we don't love the garden. It's just that we want to make sure it's got nicer turf. <laughs> so we're quite literally going to be turfing you out. Um, <laughs> Yeah. So they have their second child. To add to it all, they have their second child on 29th December 1970. And then he quotes from her. She said, so far as I was concerned, we were husband and wife. See, again, that's so smart. Mm. And I did trust him. I never, ever thought anything was going to happen while we were building the home up. As far as I knew, we were going to stay there. That is what a quote. What a quote! As you quote her like that, and to, then you're like, "Oh, yeah, you know, this is this is like a literary technique." You know, he's building yeah. up sympathy. He's creating yeah. pathos. You know, he's yeah. uh, you know, she I, trusted him. She did more than any wife, not not any many wives would do. And as she was concerned, they were husband and wife. And like any matter. any wife, she trusts yeah. him. Yeah, and it doesn't matter how many surnames she's had already. The point <laughs> is. <laughs> This, this is over it. This emphasizes the weirdness of his starting line, but he loves a good starting line. Like there's a case about like a fatal car crash, which be- and he he begins his judgment by saying, "It was bluebell time in Kent." <laughs> like, <laughs> like someone's died. This is this isn't good. Um, and you know, in Seems summer, okay. in summer, village cricket is the joy of everybody. The young man play and the old men watch. <laughs> okay no women have ever played cricket of course um, <laughs> so yeah this is the kind of we, guy he is we 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 have this um this incredible kind of you know this double comparison about her two wives and the fact that she basically trusted him um like a wife would trust a husband and that she believed that they would be together um for presumably the rest of their lives he then tells us sometime later in 1970 or 1971 their divorces came through and early in 1972, she suggested to him that they should get married. So she's proposing to him here. I think that's also, he's doing this on purpose. Like he's saying it in this way, right? He's not yeah. just saying, you know, they, they, they got divorced, um, but they, they didn't end up marrying. He's making a point of saying, she, I've just given you that quote, haven't I, from her? So look, she trusts you. She thinks she's, yeah, she right. thinks of you as her husband. And then she asked you that to marry her. And then what happened? Well, he agrees. 
But he did not do anything about it. You're and soon on. afterwards, he changed his mind about it. Yeah. Like, You're dead on. You're dead right. Stuart. And not just because he'd, had, he'd got cold feet or he thought, actually, no, you know what? You know, we can't afford a wedding right now. We've got two kids and oh, there's concrete in the front garden. <laughs> and who will carry to the skip? Who will carry to the skip? <laughs> um, you know, like, I mean, no, no, there's a reason. Yeah. He met another woman called Gloria. He met her when he got a job as a minicab driver. Also a very strange strange detail as well that like he got a job as a minicab driver and he met Gloria. Like there's something like you can say he's really trying to to depict him as some kind of, you know, no do-gooder. Well, I think he, I I think he is. And I think he's, I mean, it's, it's, it's successful. I don't like Stuart at this point. Like, you know, in September 1972. So she's already asked him to marry her in early 1972. He says, no, he's, she says he agrees, but he did nothing about it. Then in September 1972, he told Janet that he was going to marry Gloria. He told her he was going to sell the house. He actually put it in the hands of estate agents. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. Thereupon, Janet went to solicitors and made an application to the county court. She asked for a share in the house. Three weeks later, Stuart Eves left the house. He went to live with Gloria and married her. I mean, that that is, you know, core. I mean, Stuart is that's not a gut punch, isn't it? After the proceedings it stuff, right? She's put all this work into the house. She, you know, yeah. she so you no, know, she meets this guy. Um, who happens to be married, but that's fine. They move in. He buys a house. He says, look, I'd love you to be part of the house officially, but you're just too young. I'm sorry. It's not me. I can't I can't do it. So, well, that's fine. I trust you. I'm going to do all this stuff around the house. And then here comes Gloria, and he refuses to marry Janet and marries Gloria. And like, whoa. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, this it's, is, it's this very is well constructed. It's very persuasive stuff. <laughs> It is, and, you're, and it is a gut punch that he keeps going back to. The next paragraph, she asks for an, an order from the magistrate giving her custody of the children and for Stuart Eves to pay £5 a week. He did not keep up these payments. He went back to the house, in brackets, where Janet was. So Janet's in living in the house at this exactly. point on her own. He locked up two big rooms, leaving Janet and the children, one bedroom and the kitchen and toilet. He took away the deep freeze and the stair carpet. And again, it was a poor return for all she had done. I think, mean, I mean, this is a proper, you know, th- th- this is not, uh, this is a dick move, isn't it? I mean, yeah. took away the freezer and the carpet. Yeah. That, well, he's trying to make it so horrible that they leave, isn't he? Yeah, but the, the carpet. Yeah. <laughs> I know. And, this, and I also I like the phrase, it was a poor return for all she had done. Nice That's little so... literary technique there, using the understatement to emphasize the point. Very nice, very nice. Uh, it, you know. it, sounds like, it sounds like a disappointed parent telling you off, doesn't it? You know, that's up there with um, you know, that kind of understatement. It reminds me of this potentially apocryphal story during World War One. when there's uh, some British troops and they're kind of pinned down somewhere and they send a telegram or whatever it is, they send an urgent message out to nearby Americans saying, we're on a bit of a sticky wicket here. Um, <laughs> Uh, what they mean is we're about to be massacred um, and the Americans don't fully understand uh, what the phrase sticky wicket means because of course why would they um, you know, it's, you know, and the, um, that is a great it reminds story. me of that that, that kind of understatement um, that's really intended to emphasise a point um, it's, it's, I, I, it's neatly done um, it is and it works it so well because he's you know all the stuff she's done all the trust she's put in him. As you say, like, <coughs> he emphasizes all the trust, everything that she believes in him, how he totally goes against that. And then afterwards, not only does he not pay for the kids, for the maintenance, but he actively makes their life much worse. He's and just think, and what's terrible. Is we're talking about this. We're very negative on this guy. But... There may be stuff going on, right, that we don't know about. And, and that's what's interesting here as well, is that one of the, the problems when a judge takes this approach, he's 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 arguing as if he's a counsel here, an advocate, really, yeah, rather true. than necessarily saying how the law operates. And he's putting into 
he's creating this official legal narrative of Stuart Eve, right? So we I mean, we don't know what's going on, right? Maybe maybe Gloria just understood him on a more fundamental level. Maybe um, maybe Janet did a bad job of painting the brickwork. I don't know, but you know, what I mean, like, <laughs> it, it's it's interesting. You, you kind of solidify here within kind of this legal truth, this legal narrative of what yeah. happened, uh, and that's one of the fascinating things about case law in general, is, is that it has that power to to create those kinds of very difficult to adjust narratives. Um, and, you know, we don't People really get him. his side here. And perhaps that's yeah. because he's banged to rights, right? But but it could be that, you know, Lord Denning's choosing not to include other certain uh, facts which are relevant. Um, well, I think that's, you know. I think that's, I think that's probably the case. I, I mean, maybe this guy is just dreadful. Um, but, this this doesn't read like there is a consideration of his point of view at all here. You know, the yeah. guy is, I mean, maybe, you know, I presume Denning has, you know, sat around, thought about it, listened to these extended arguments and thought, actually, maybe this guy doesn't have any yeah. saving graces yeah. here. And but we don't know. Well, it may well be the case, right? Um, yeah, it's but we just, don't know. Yeah, I think that's just something to bear in mind here. And it's something that is, you know, part and parcel of, you know, case law and judgment um absolutely and you know it gives it it the official force of the state i think that's what's really interesting about this you know it's the official view of the court of appeal (laughs) is that you sir um, are a bad man um it gets it gets even actually it gets even clearer when um we're told that janet wants to take this case to county court she can't take it to county court because it ends up being that during the time at county court, it's realised that the deposit for the house, or rather the value of the house, means that it's it's too much to be heard in the county court. Yeah. So Janet, we're told by Denning, Janet would have agreed to it going before the judge, even though it, it um, was outside the jurisdiction. But Stuart Eves did not. So the case was not heard in that court. But outside, after the hearing in the county court, Gloria made an upset. She raised her voice and said that Janet would not get a penny out of Stuart Eves. She threatened Janet with violence. Janet was very upset and afraid of what might happen if she stayed in the house. So she left and Stuart and Gloria moved in with an Alsatian dog. An Alsatian. <laughs> what? Why is that relevant? Why is the Alsatian, why is the Alsatian dog? A foreign dog. It doesn't, I, why? I mean, yeah. I know why. It's because it's meant to give you the image of Stuart and Gloria living in a white picket fence house with their yeah. dog, moving on with their life while poor Janet is discarded with the kids with nowhere to go. Yeah. I mean, that's why he puts it in that's, there. That's and she's it, been yeah. threatened with violence and she's upset and afraid. And this poor woman who's trusted people, I think maybe sometimes this is what the four surnames thing is about. You know, she's a, mm-hmm. she's a young woman who's trusted people and been treated unfairly by men continuously. And now it's even worse you know Stuart has treated her so terribly she's acted better than many wives yeah, would do and, and, and how she's been paid back by cruelty after cruelty and now threatened and by they've got a dog and now they've got a dog in their nice house yeah because presumably at this point, point he's he's put the carpet back at this point presumably oh, yeah um, and unlocked the two rooms although maybe with an station maybe it wasn't housebroken maybe he kept the carpet out um <laughs> Yeah, maybe that's why he removed yeah. the carpet. Maybe and, that was his good reason for it. <laughs> and, and then after this, so this dog gets this kind of really symbolic, everything that's wrong about the world is in this dog. Um, <laughs> saying it's an Alsatian as well, like, wh- why is the breed, like, a dog would achieve the same thing, but it's going to be an Alsatian, which I guess is a family dog. Um, a big, it's, it's well, Alsatians have that, it's, it's, it's that lovely fur as well, right? It's that kind of image of, like, a, a really... It's a positive oh, it's, dog, right? It's, it's like a golden retriever. It's Lassie in Alsatian. Exactly. Um, I don't know. I don't know what Lassie is. I'm going to have a quick Google of Alsatian. Oh, it's a German Shepherd. Okay, yeah. Yeah, that is like a big family dog, isn't it? Um, yeah. A German dog, I note. <laughs> I mean, Did you know that the Alsatian is arguably the most popular worldwide breed? Oh, really? Wow. Yeah. That's interesting. Could, I, I, the, the only way in which this could be any better is if they'd bought a golden retriever, you know, yeah. and it would have been that kind of like, oh, look, 
there happily married together in their house with their golden retriever, the house that she helped to improve. They're living in there because of Stuart's lies. He's not paying for his kids. They they have nowhere to live now. Well, we obviously they, they have somewhere to live, but we're not told about that at all. We're told about loads of other stuff, but not about her arrangements afterwards. We are then told immediately following, he won't pay for the kids. He's very much in arrear. By the time uh, the case for uh, him to actually pay uh, comes to the courts, Denning tells us um, he was, as far as I see it, about £500 or more in arrears. I expect it more like, I expect it is more like £1,000 now. No, he yeah. doesn't know the exact figure. He's just saying this guy owes a lot yeah. of money. As we say, like about eight thousand now. It's a lot of money. You know, yeah. he's he's not he's not a nice guy, is the the description yeah. of these facts. The, the, the official view of the Court of Appeal. Um, yeah. yeah. But so, it's so smart, isn't it? It's so smart because this is from from like my kind of perspective on this, it's so much more immediately understandable. Um and immediately arresting in a way that maybe judge, judgment should or shouldn't be. But nevertheless, I think that there is an element of law which is about saying, you know, if, if you treat people very, very unfairly, there should be somebody who can come in and say, actually, you know what, this is not acceptable. You shouldn't be able to behave like this um, yeah. for good or ill. But I think that I, an element of law is that. Yeah, I think what's interesting is you can compare this judgment, his, his description with that of Mr. Justice Brightman. So Justice Brightman agrees with Denning in the end, but he's describing this in a far more legalistic way. You know, so, for example, he says um, they first resided in the house at Romford, which belongs to the respondent and had been bought by him with the aid of a mortgage. That's how he's describing it. He's not saying um, he bought a house, they moved in. Uh, He did this, you know, and and he's kind of focusing this purely on his view um, is that, well, look, he says that because the um, when he was asked in cross-examination, uh, what did you mean when you told her that it would be in joint names if she was 21? Uh, and Stuart Eves replies by saying, well, I suppose at the time it was an excuse that I didn't have to put it in joint names. Mr. Justice Brightman says, well, look, this answer raises a clear inference that there was an understanding between them that she was intended to have some sort of proprietary interest in the house. Otherwise, no excuse would have been needed. And that's kind of what he looks at there. And then as well, so that's very more legalistic. He's saying, logically, I am inferring from the evidence, whereas Denning is a far more kind of, you know, fabulistic um, kind of way of describing the case. And, And when Denning goes on and says, I stripped the wallpaper, I painted this, I did this, I did this, I did these things. Um, so Mr. Justice Brightman says, okay, well, this is the accepted description of the work that um, Janet did on the house. And he's reading her evidence. Yes. And her he evidence says, I did these things. Yes. Um, which is not the way that Lord Denning is spinning it. Um, right. So, you know, there's two distinct approaches here to, to the relevance of the facts. And it's because Denning's doing something that's quite Denning in that he, he's trying to really make this all about fairness. And he's less concerned, in a sense, with the legalities of it, whereas Brightman's judgment is far more, this is what's happened, this is awful, but I've got to plug this into law. And they're two well, different yeah. ways of, of describing it. But but Denning does go on and explain how the law helps Janet, of course. But I think that's an interesting contrast. Yeah, actually, it, it's very, really interesting because you can see in Brightman's judgment when he reads from her affidavit, so when, when he reads the evidence about um, the work she did, that it's li- it, it's basically exactly the, the same work. description that, that Denning gives. And, and that's, Denning that's, makes it his <laughs> and the official yeah. record of the court. I yeah, exactly. So. It's it's really interesting, isn't it? You know, he's he's saying, "Oh, this is definitely what happened." Um, like, yeah. Well, I mean, it probably is, but it's still it's one person's evidence here. Yeah, it's it's very interesting that they've done that. Um, so I think at this point, right, we've established that the facts of this case, um, you know, it looks and, as if and, it's been hard done by, right? And, and, exactly. and we know what Denning's view is. Denning's view is we have to get Stuart. 
Um, (laughs) That's that's an accurate description, I think. Yes. And he's using these techniques which are literary, not legal at this point. So now... I I would... would, uh, Interesting... Uh, division there between uh, literary and law. We can we can have a chat about that sometime. I think let's um, <laughs> do a Laura Nitschke podcast. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so... Well, then... because the, the 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 reason I say it is because, in a sense, everything we've seen beforehand, um, choosing choosing to, for instance, like like uh, Brightman has to to kind of do this in a the appellant and defendant, Mister Stuart Eves, began to live. You know, mm. so and so they re- uh, that they reside in the house at Romford. It sounds um, neutral, but it's also detached, which is actually not how the, 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 the uh, house or the judgment. <laughs> the judgment, right? It's it's, yeah. it's a it's a. I mean, the house was it detached or was it? I can't remember. But um, yeah, the, 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 <laughs> we we found it on Google. You know, uh, yeah. <laughs> but we we can see there, like Brightman is doing this kind of this this neutral voice and neutral analysis as much as he can, at least in the way he presents it. But that, yeah. that, that is a choice and it's a stylistic choice. Whereas yeah. Denning is just outwardly saying, come on, like <laughs> this guy <laughs> has treated her badly, just yeah. badly. And I think that's, it's, I think that's, it, it's make, it's certainly not neutral, let's say, but it's still calling the facts as they are in a sense, which is this guy is a, is a bad dude. Like, it's a bad you know, dude. Maybe, maybe he's not, and maybe it's it, it's been totally spun out incorrectly. But even from Brightman's statements, yeah. you don't get a particularly good picture of Stuart Eves. But no, Brightman's you, just you, kind of giving you a very neutral. Yeah, you definitely, you definitely don't. No, you definitely don't. Um, Which is, I think I think it's still there's there's a choice right to saying to presenting a very kind of serious um, and difficult to follow. Sometimes you know appellant. Uh, is and respondent is difficult for people who don't, you know, mm. aren't lawyers. But you can immediately read Denning's judgment and say, "I know what's going on here," yeah. and I can tell who's the, who's who's done what and how they've done it. And the fact he gives you chronologically as well, Denning, he, he t- takes you through part by part by part, really helps in a way that um, I think I think is impressive. But I think mm. it's I think it's difficult to say that it's um, a purely kind of literary rather than legal aspect because oh, i think yeah. brightman's doing the same thing right it's yeah it's just a different form of literary device to yeah sure present neutrality yeah know, sure they, yeah i i'd agree with that i think um, I and, defend this, this is just about the reasons yeah. to shoot stuff denning um because his judgments tend to read like this but you know yeah. I, I, in this case i think you know Fair enough. Um, but in other yeah, there, case, there, are, there are other ones. Yes, <laughs> you know. So particularly, there's a famous case uh, called Duport Steel and Stirs, which is about whether it's permissible to uh, give an injunction that prevents uh, widespread industrial action in the um, British steel sector in the uh, kind of early early eighties, I think it is. Um, and Denning, his judgment is this would be an economic catastrophe. What's going on? These are, oh no, it can't possibly allow this uh, strike to go ahead. And it gets appealed up to the House of Lords above him by Lord Diplock, who seems to spend most of his career going, no, Denning, that's not right. <laughs> um, it's like, yeah, Lord Denning said this based on no case law, no precedent, and no one had even suggested <laughs> in front of him this point he was making. He is just making it up. And actually, yeah. law is very different. It's quite clear that we are um, able um, to... Um, no, we are not able to uh, give an injunction and prevent the strike. So, you know, it cuts both ways with Danny. I think here, exactly. like, it's quite exactly. clear what's going on. Like, I kind of agree yes. with him, but... There is a, a sometimes a problem when you start to describe cases in this way, but I Absolutely, guess we, we can we can now talk about I guess how the solution here, what this tells us about the English legal system. So, yeah. the basic yeah. solution, which we're not going to talk about after this, really, is yeah. that the, the court decides that essentially Stuart Eaves is keeping one quarter of this property that he's living in now with Gloria on trust for Janet. So what that means is that when he sells the property, um, you know, Janet will get a quarter of the proceeds, essentially. So it's a type of trust known as a constructive trust, but we're not going to bore you with that, partly because, you know, we don't know what we're talking about. Um, And we're going to focus instead on um, 
but Lawrence at least is going to tell you about the role of equity so what equity is and the way that that is assisting Janet yeah um the the thing is with constructive trust and trust in general is uh they're obviously there's there's complexities around trusts, which means it's. I'm actually just not even going to go there. I was. I was going to do a different jump off. <laughs> Let's go yeah, back to William the Conqueror. Uh, yeah, we're in exactly. the Norman courts, uh, and why are you there? <laughs> so, you can see how Denning himself moves on <clears throat> to give his reasoning here. For and now we're talking about reasoning for the judgment he's going to give. So he talks us through. Uh, in strict law, this is his phrasing I'm using, and this will help us out here. In strict law, she has no claim on him, whatever. She is not his wife. He is not bound to provide a roof over her head. He can turn her into the street. She is not entitled to any maintenance from him for herself. All she can do is to go to the magistrates and ask for an affiliation order against him on the footing that she's a single woman and get an order for him to pay the maintenance for the children. If he does not pay, she's going to have great difficulty in getting money out of him even for the children and again he says here such is the strict law this is really <clears throat> this is really clever and it's clever because the setup here by using strict law he means essentially right the law <laughs> the law yeah, is he means, he means common law right you know he, yes. he means that you know the network of cases decided on this sort of subject over the years yeah, uh, over and- hundred or so or yeah. maybe more years um exactly. and this is what all the cases follow yeah and she hasn't got a chance it's basically yeah. saying yeah and what's interesting is, is that this isn't a case where statute law acts of parliament are relevant it's a common law based case we're looking at this in terms of judge based law but yeah so this is just just based on law that's just come from judges and then other judges have followed those decisions for yeah. however long um and i mean that's it gets to a point, of course, where you can have laws that have been built up by judges, never seen by Parliament, that stretch back for centuries, even. Mm. Um, yeah. So yeah, this is this this is what he means by strict law. This is yeah. the common law. Absolutely. And and then he says, but things have changed because yes. equity, this thing called equity, can help you. And so he cites a case, Gissing and Gissing. In which Lord Diplock, his nemesis, uh, describes in the ni- early 1970s uh, this idea of a, a trust can be created through someone's conduct, basically. So, yeah, the the importance here is because a lot of, of course, but a lot of people hear about equity in terms of you know the equity of your home and things like that. But yeah. equity used to be um, used to be an entirely separate area of law. It grew out of Essentially, there was uh, cases in common law courts that were seen as providing somewhat, let's say, harsh judgments or judgments that people just didn't agree with. And they would petition uh, the king and say, you know, your courts have given me an unfair judgment. Can you overrule it? Hmm. Uh, Eventually, this became its own kind of court headed up by the chancellor. Um, And they saw so many cases that it ended up being its entire own area of law, which has the power to overrule common law. So you can go to the common law, you can get your judgment. The judgment is, let's say, strictly correct. In in Denning's terms, strict law, in strict law, it's correct. However, you feel you've been incredibly hard done by and it's totally unfair. You can then apply to, or you could historically apply to a court of equity and say, you know, I've been severely mistreated here. I'm quite clearly the wronged party. This is a great example of this. In Janet's case, what Denning is saying is she has clearly been treated terribly. It's been totally unfair. And though Stuart is correct in law, there must be something here that can help yeah. Janet. And that thing, luckily for her, equity. This equity. what yeah. used to be a different area of law and has now become in, I think, 1840. Um, around then was fused into the common law courts so weirdly we still have judges that sit um, in common law courts giving judgments but they can say well the common law can't help you here but actually here's equity and equity might but i mean yeah the the issue is equity is not it's not big now it's it's very restricted very very restricted and it has its own kind of rule set and it's it's 
it's limited, let's yeah. say now, compared to what it was. You'll, of, you'll often find uh, equity being used to help uh, provide an interpretation of the common law um, in particular in a way that is fairer to the parties. That That's often the way you'll see it used yeah. now. So yeah. it's no longer the case that, yeah, you go and you petition the king and the king's like, ah, nah, you're right. Uh, it, yeah, exactly. It's not that anymore. But, you know, you will... It is quite... It's... Uh, not uncommon to see judges think, but okay, well, can equity assist? So a, a classic kind of, if there's like a contract, for example, um, uh, and if, if the, the contract's operating in a particular way that's particularly harsh on one individual and that may be unduly harsh, um, equity may be able to assist. Um, and, and in this case, the point is that equity is saying, it's simply not fair that the law doesn't protect uh, this woman uh, and the equitable notion of a trust, a a constructive trust here as set out in this case of Gissing and Gissing, which we should follow because it's in the House of Lords and we're in the Court of Appeal, we're one below it, says that it's possible for someone's conduct to create a a trust. Uh, And here we say that Janet's conduct was sufficient um, to create a trust um, in her favour. Where, yeah, it's essentially the work she did. And this is why it's so important what he's listed out beforehand. What he's claiming is that equity is no longer a separate court system, but he, because it's now joined um, in, in the same courts, Denning is able to use it to claim, well, hang on, actually, there is this thing called constructive trusts. Hmm. And the work that I've listed that Janet did that extensive work means that by her conduct, by that work, um, she has, in in essence, um, gained twenty five percent of the property value. That's that's really what you know. That's not the kind of the legal mechanism, but that's yeah. more or less what's happened here. Without going into the kind of how constructive trusts work, exactly. Yeah, which, which we definitely won't do. Um, which we yes, definitely won't do. <laughs> and, and, and the other, the interesting about equity is that equity using equity, equity, um, it's discretionary. So, you know, it, it offers uh, another thing equity might do is is offer. Well, this is an example of this actually offers remedies, right? So the remedy is you've got a constructive trust in your favour, or in a contract decision, you know, the remedy, the 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 remedy might be that yeah, uh, you breached your contract here, but actually you're not going to have to do everything or whatever, or the other way around. That person's breached their contract; they're going to have to do X, Y, and Z. Um, but equity is is discretionary. So the courts don't have to apply it. And one of the things that they use uh, to decide whether an equitable remedy is available are the so-called maxims of equity, which is really strange. Um, <laughs> I mean, um, do, we, do, do, do we have to go into the maxims? Uh, I think we can chuck in a couple. Um, people yeah, might be yeah, interested yeah. in one or two of them. Um, so... so- a maxim by maxims of equity. What 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 do you mean? So, like a maxim, uh, you know, it's uh, a sort of a rule. You know, a, a rule of thumb, something you live your life through. You know, so, um, you know, Nietzsche. I am not a man. I am dynamite. That that's a maxim. Is <laughs> uh, um, not of equity. Not of equity. No. Um, but equity. <laughs> so there's there's these basically. It's things like. Equity will not assist a stranger, uh, which is uh, stranger danger taken to its logical conclusion. But the, the point, <laughs> what that means is that if you're in a, a situation where perhaps there's a third party to the case and this third party could actually benefit in some way from the case. Well, they're not a party to the case. That means they're a stranger to the case. So we cannot have an equitable remedy that assists them normally. Um or the other, the other classic one uh, is, you must come to equity with clean hands. It's very topical because yeah. at the moment, of course, we must go everywhere with clean hands. Wash your hands. <laughs> um, but now I've got wash your hands to tune a baby shark stuck in my head. Oh dear. <laughs> so what did what does it what does it mean by uh, come to equity with clean hands? Uh, it, you, the courts are not going to give you an equitable remedy. They're not going to be minded to give you assistance in, in equity if you have 
you know, misbehaved. Um, yeah. So if you're Stuart Eves, it's if not going to help Stuart you. Eves, he, his hands are not clean here. Or if yeah. you're, um, you know, in a contract situation, if you're clearly taking advantage of a company that is in serious financial trouble, yeah. um, and you've got a contract with them that you know you know they can't really afford to fulfil, but you're going to make them do it anyway. Equity might not help you there. And so that's the case that uh, law students will look at quite early on when they study contract law in the cases uh, involving. There's a lot of cases like that, but the classic one is Williams and Roffey Brothers, for example, the first year law students will study. Um, so equity, you know, you've got to deserve this in some way, which brings us back to uh, back to Denning, right? That's part of the reason Denning's doing this. Like he is building up this image of Janet as this unimpeachable, totally hard done by, um, you know, manipulated party. She has clean hands. She is the innocent party here. And so the equitable remedy can come in. Um, yeah. And there's lots of like weird rules like that that equity has. So another, my favourite example uh, that I can remember, and it might not be true, but I think it is. You must come to equity with clean hands. And we've said here that trusts are a form of equitable remedy often. So then Dr. Crippen um murders his wife um, <laughs> in order to get the money that she's holding on trust for him. Um, his hands were not clean. Uh, he could not get that remedy. You can't triumph from your own evil, right? That's kind of the idea. And this is this is what's so interesting about equity is that common law and the way Denny describes it, strict law, you know, and I think strict law is, is, is a great way of um, kind of conceiving of it that's about rule following equity is very much about are you in the right here or are you in the wrong and all of the problems with that are the problems and uh that we've kind of hinted at and discussed about denning right here which is that there are evaluative judgments you know he's working out who's the good guy who's the bad guy here uh who's been treated fairly who hasn't been treated fairly and how can i help out the party that's not been treated fairly mm. and that means in these cases you can sit there and say oh he's got this dead right but in other cases uh he has a very kind of equitable approach in general to law which is why you do get cases like you mentioned before about strikes where he's he's not focused necessarily on what the strict law is here he's looking oh. at it and saying who's who is but yeah, so it's, it, no, we cannot possibly have this strike. It would ruin the country, you know, or um, yeah. promissory stop this other contract law doctrine where if you make somebody a promise and they rely on it, um, then they may be able to enforce that promise against you. So so that comes from a case where uh, it's World War Two. There is a war going on um, and a landlord negotiates a big reduction in rent payments from uh, the person renting their property because obviously the property market um, doesn't really exist at that point. Um, and then after the war has ended, the landlord says, all right, I'll have the, the, the balance of what you owe me, please. Uh, you've been paying very little during the war. The war's over. You owe me you know, three years worth of actual full rents. Uh, and clearly that landlord is acting inequitably. They're acting very unfairly. And Lord Denning, in this case, High Tree's house, says, well, look, I'm going to have to invent essentially a whole new doctrine of contract law to help. And that's called promissory estoppel. Um, he is the- very happy to invent yeah. equitable rules or to use yeah. here. He takes what Lord Diplock has said in another judgment and the way he phrases it, equity is not past the age of childbearing. One of her latest progeny is a constructive trust on a new model. He goes through what Lord Diplock says in this other judgment that he's using. And here you go. Although Janet did not make any financial contribution, it seems to me that this property was acquired and maintained by both their joint efforts with the intention that it should be used for their joint benefit until they were married and thereafter as long as the marriage continued. At any rate, Stuart Eves cannot be heard to say to the contrary. He told her that it was to be a home for them and their children. He gained her confidence. See here again, he gained her confidence by telling her that he intended to put it in their joint names, just as married couples often do. But that was not possible until she was 21. The judge described this as a trick and said that it did not do much credit to him as a man of honour. The man never intended to put it in joint names, but always determined to have it 
in his own name. It seems to me that he should be judged by what he told her, by what he led her to believe, and not by his own intent that he kept to himself. This is a great example yeah. of setting out, you know, using phrases from the judge before, from the from the original case, um, does not give him much credit as a man of honour. He's setting up here the clear, clear thing he's been doing throughout, which is that this guy has acted unfairly. Mm. She has acted without reproach. She's been treated incredibly poorly. And you know what? She did do a bunch of stuff around the house that was very, very helpful, including preparing the lawn to be, to be turfed, um, which means that she should get 25% of the property price. Lord <laughs> uh, Denning, the, the original social justice warrior. Yeah, that is that is that is probably not a claim to make. <laughs> no, it's definitely not. Um, yeah, that's definitely not a claim to make. But, but they, it's it is it is fantastic. In yeah. his conclusion, in view of his conduct, in view of his conduct, it would I think be most inequitable for him to deny her any share in the house. The law will impose, will impute or impose a constructive trust by which he was to hold it in trust for both of them. He then goes through, I think one half would be too much. I suggest one quarter. That's literally the reasoning. I think one half of the property price would be too much. I suggest it should be one quarter. She should have broken up more concrete. (laughs) We're not given any reasoning for that. We're just told how much. What's your your base of that one? The quality of her painting? Um, How prepared, how did the turfing actually go ahead? Had she poorly prepared the turf? You know, if she'd just broken up a bit more concrete, if she just painted one more cabinet, um, and that's when the case gets a bit woolly again. Um, And so it does pose the question, you know, (laughs) how much... Uh, how much I, concrete could Janet break if concrete could break Janet? No. <laughs> I think what's fascinating, so so this judgment you know stands, it's not appealed up. Um she is given 25% of the property price. Yeah. Um and she she gets it when in Denning's own words, strict law says she gets nothing. Nothing at all. It's purely through a kind of innovative and inventive um, use of equity, something which has been restricted and limited over the years. You know, it is it is not its own separate court system now. It is only relied on occasionally, um, mostly, as you say, to inform kind of common law judgments. He here just says, oh, it's not past the age of childbearing. Here's a new constructive trust. Here's how I'm going to interpret that it should be used. I don't think you should get 50% of the property. 25% seems about right. Done. Bidding. Also, I like that. It's not past the age of childbearing. Equity courts have been around since 1066, but okay. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think Lord Denning understands the concept of childbirth there. Um, (laughs) But but, but yeah, right? I mean, that is a very long, um, you know, not even in the... No, it's about... In the episode of Doctor Who, where the moon is an egg, it's kind of that that gestation period. (laughs) But I think that's great, you know. I think think what's, what's... What's impressive about this judgment is how openly accessible all the facts are. And even the legal reasoning, though he goes into constructive trust, he doesn't really cover it very quickly. He just says, oh, there is a thing called constructive trust. Yeah, here's a quote from a case that I'm following. Here's a quote from a case. Um, You did some work on the house. Uh, He lied to you about whether or not you were going to ever be on the deed. So the way I look at it, actually, (laughs) the work you've done shows that combined with the fact that he promised it to you that actually yeah you should be given about 25 percent of the property uh it, it could be 50 but i'm going to say 25 percent because 50 seems too much anyway that's it he sh- he has no excuse not to pay the maintenance of the children we're done yeah. you know it, it is it is a very accessible judgment and one of the reasons is yes because of the way he speaks but also because it feel it, it, it feels does right. Yeah, right. It feels right. Which is what equity should do, right? Like the whole point of it was to say, yeah, this this guy is acting really unfairly and he's trying to abuse the rules. So let's just find a way he can't. Yeah. Um and that's for all of the reasons we've discussed, and I'm sure we will discuss Denning in the future as well, it does enable a lot of problems. There's a lot of uh obvious potential for negative biases and a bunch of other issues around that. But there are cases like this when it just seems, well, fair. 
yeah, it, I mean, th- this this case, I think it is totally fair, and it's it's a really good um, uh, judgment. Um, but you know, I think next time uh, when we look at some other cases involving Lord Denning, we might find that actually he's he, he's not always quite as obviously uh, right as as right. this in his in his in his you know attempts to be fair, uh, shall we say? <laughs> well, yeah, I think this is. Um... Well, that, I think, brings us nicely to uh, the end of Eves and Eves. And uh, we'll see you next time for a totally different case uh, in UK law. Thanks very much. Yeah, but not you, Stuart. (laughs) But not you, Stuart. Don't listen, Stuart. (laughs) See you next time. See ya.